Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Bobcast episode 99, live from the lounge. Tonight's guest, uh, we haven't spoken together in probably six years. Currently, he's the adjunct professor at Monco, teaching screenplay writing. He's a video production teacher at Northeast High School and an instructor at Boston University. Uh, it's been, I guess I, I met him uh, when I was maybe 29 years old. And, you know, I always wanted to write screenplays my entire life. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to have to take a class. I'm going to have to take a class. I think it was Wednesday night. I forget, maybe Tuesday. But I went and my instructor was the one who showed me all the tools necessary to get my scripts in with, you know, major motion picture companies in contention to one day sell my screenplay. Something that I've been doing for the better part of six years. Partly inspired by the words of tonight's guest, please welcome to the show, Yaniv Stello. So what's up, man? How you been? Good. Uh, long time no talk. Yeah, it's been quite a bit. You've been on the journey yourself. I see you're teaching all over the place, spreading the good word of entertainment. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, back from uh, the West Coast and uh, back from Boston University and uh, happy to be in, uh, in Bluebell, my, uh, my hometown. Nice. So you just actually got done teaching a class tonight. Tell everybody in the Bobcast land what you were instructing. I teach uh, a class called uh, Mass Communication, where uh, it's an intro class about um, journalism, PR, advertising, film and video, TV, really anything in media. Um, we kind of bring up and, and break apart and talk about, and then um, hopefully everyone kind of figures out what they want to do so they can focus on it as a major after, after they see me. That's great. So, I mean, when I met you, you were teaching uh, intro to screenplay writing or screenwriting. Uh, and, and if I'm not mistaken, you took the advanced class too, right? I think I was. No, I think I took two classes. Yeah. I think probably. I did, yeah. The, uh, the special writers got to take an advanced class, which is like, the, the most fun thing ever, I think. <laughs> I guess uh, the listeners would probably be wondering what kind of student was I? <laughs> uh, you know, it's been a few years now. I, I remember um, I remember your dialogue was like very very energetic. It was, it was crackling. Um, and you always had like a very creative side to your writing. Dude, thanks, because I always struggle with my dialogue. I think dialogue, like I can set up stories, but the dialogue parts, like I think that that's like the most difficult part of writing. And that's what we're going to talk about here on tonight's Bobcast. We've actually, um, you know, we've gotten together, you know, in the virtual world and sent each other some emails, and we have compiled a list. You have a list of your top three screenplays, and I have a list of my top three screenplays. So we're going to start off with um, your number three, and you'll, you'll tell the Bobcast listeners, you know, what you like about the script, what stands out, why it is this number in your list, etc. So for you, it's going to be... Um, Pulp Fiction by Quentin Tarantino. Bob, I actually am throwing you a curveball. I, I chose Forrest Say that again? <laughs> I'm throwing you a curveball. I actually chose Forrest um, oh, Okay, so you, you can start so off. My number, my number four, um, only because it, 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 it's Halloween and we're getting there and I'm in the mood. Um, I actually chose uh, Scream, uh, which was directed by Wes Craven and written by Kevin Wayne. Yep, it is. It's it changed the game. I agree. It changed, it changed the game, and, and I guess we should explain for for people that are not super in tune with, with what the game was. Um, you know, horror in, in the eighties um, sort of became kind of jokey with 
Freddy Krueger and like the last of the, the Friday the 13th series and Chucky. Um, and, and Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven, uh, well, Kevin Williamson worked with the script and it took him a while to get Wes Craven to sign on. Wes Craven said, you know, I don't know. It's, I don't know what we can do with it. It seems kind of jokey and, and, you know, I kind of want to stay serious. And, um, eventually they, they just kind of warmed down and he directed it and, um, he just got it. He got, he got the tone. He got the flow. He got the, um, the 90s, um, the wave of sort of deconstructing genres, which, which screen is for the horror genre. Um, so not only did we get, uh, a, a, just a really well written, well constructed horror film, um, but we got that amazing dialogue with like the interplay of, uh, all the horror tropes and of course the amazing, uh, unexpected death scene of, uh, Drew Barrymore, the big twist ending with the killers and, um, really just sort of set the table for um, much more serious filmmaking, which I think kind of um, matured with The Sixth Sense because, you know, it was unprofitable to um, to make horror movies, and and, um, and and I really think Screen set it off. So, so that is my legal number four. All right, so I, I didn't get a chance to get a number four, so my number three is uh, it's the film Point Break. It's written by W. Peter Elif, and... Um, I saw this, I think, when I was like 12 years old, and I think it's the perfect action movie. All the characters seem like they're actually really people. Johnny Utah. I mean, when you first saw it, you're like, man, Keanu's such a bad actor. But with time, we figured out how brilliant Keanu can be. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this new movie he's in called Knock Knock, where two girls come into his house and cause like all sorts of trouble. But um, Point Break, yeah, I mean, like the action sequences, you know, directed by Catherine Bigelow, you know, the... The scenes, they're just, they're, they last forever. I mean, the president's, and, uh, you know, Patrick Swayze, he puts in, you know, Bodhi is just one of the most believable characters of all time. As far as, like, action movies, like, of today, I think all of them got, like, you know, they barred from this. Like, Fast and the Furious, all those films, you know what I mean? Like, took from one person, you know, infiltrating a team or whatever. But I, uh, one of the things you were talking about when you were talking about Scream was, like, how, like, we started to deconstruct the films, like, in the late 90s and early thousands and that's an interesting point because you know like uh where was the action movie in the late 90s i can't remember in the beginning of the 90s i can but everything in the late 90s was like crap like when uh schwarzenegger was doing like end of days and like all these big budgeted things were like bombing we definitely had uh, an action movie crisis um that really didn't recover for for quite a while um really i would say until uh Fast and the Furious came out, and you sort of had this new formula to it. Um, and, and you know, I would almost consider Point Break the last gasp of the eighties action movie. Yeah, right. You know, it, it just kind of it, it was just fun enough, just like you know the really cool like Commando and Die Hard movies. Um, it just had that element of fun. Um, but like you said, it was also just a really tight film, and we all know what Captain Bigelow came from. Um, evolved into so we all know that you know she was a talented filmmaker really from the start um and then you know you have a tip of the hat from a director like christopher nolan who took the, the presidential mask um you know concept and, and sort of tipped his hat to it in dark night so um so really uh, an oddly uh, respected film as far as the uh, film community goes yeah it's very true i um i read today that they offered uh, Catherine bigelow the remake of tomb raider and she uh, oh, she turned God. it down. She was like, "Nah, I can't do that." 
but it would be interesting to see, you know, like, Catherine Bigelow, she doesn't just make one type of film, you know what I mean? Like, she wants to write, direct a script that, you know, she sees fit, like, films like The Hurt Locker or whatever. But, um... I don't, I don't think we've seen her peak yet, either. No, no, definitely not. She's just yeah. getting cooking. But, um, number two for you. So, I went with, uh, Sideways, um, which is, uh, Alexander Payne, and, um, you know, I, I remember, I remember sitting in the theater for this movie and not really understanding what I was, what I was about to get myself into. Um, you know, I don't even remember back in the day why I, I decided to go see it, but it's based off a novel by Rex Pickett, who, um, in, in later years actually became a fan of his actual writing. He does, um, short articles. It's really, really well Um, and usually biographical. Um, but you know when you mix his when you mix his writing with uh, a director like Alexander Payne who has this amazing ability to flesh out um, slices of life, um, it just becomes a, just just an amazing experience. You're, you're talking about a film that um, is really just about a wine tour. Um, you know, uh, Bob, we went through a, a, a little dissection of structure as we were talking, um, you know, earlier, and. I, you know, I don't really see a structure in this film. There's really, you know, I guess, I guess you meet the girl. I don't like. That's kind of the most complex thing that happens to the Paul Giamatti character. Um, but it, it's this realism that that makes it work. It's, uh, it's a very dry humor that makes it sort of work. Um, and then the pain direction. You know, uh, Giamatti wasn't Giamatti until Sideways came out. That, that's where the Oscar nomination started for him. And it's because of the very understated tone of the writing. Um, it's because of the understated directing of Alexander Payne, um, which is unbelievably hard to do. Whenever you're writing a movie, you want to go Tarantino. You want to have this dialogue that just jumps off the page. Um, and sometimes not being at is the hardest kind of writing. And that's why I really respect Sideways. Yeah, Sideways, you know, spoiler alert if you haven't seen the film, you know, but the, the last scene of the film, I think, is, uh, you know, it just... If, if you're talking about, like, the only theme in there, it's just, like, you know, he did, he has other opportunities, you know what I mean? Like, he's getting something new from, I guess, drinking something old, you know? But I agree 100%, Alexander... It's almost like that could be the jump to act two. That could be, like, the big thing, and then he cuts away from it. Well, I want to talk to you about that, because um, at one point, I think the studio, you know, there is a sequel, I think, right? In the book format. And they wanted Alexander Payne to do it, but um, he didn't want to do it. I read it on uh, Wiki. I mean, uh, it makes sense for a guy like Payne. Uh, I don't think he's ever done the sequel. Um, Payne's the man, dude. And, yeah, and, uh, you know, when you have a director like, like, like Payne, um, it, it, it's almost like the Kubrick Shining scenario where you have, like, a big artist coming on to, to take on another work of art. So, you know, I wouldn't see Payne as someone who would want to, you know, It'd be like saying, hey, uh, Stanley Kubrick, why, why not make a, a Shining 2, you know? Um, it, it just wouldn't, it just would never happen. It's just not in his MO. Um, so it totally makes sense that he would want to stand on its own aside from a novel. Yeah, I, I agree. <clears throat> uh, for me, number two is going to be the, the Wolf of Wall Street, written by Terrence Winter, who was a screenplay writer for The Sopranos. Uh, I've seen The Wolf of Wall Street maybe 42 times. And I'm not making that number up, but like um, 
when I was out in Los Angeles doing screenplay stuff from, you know, taking your class and uh, winning uh, the t- 2012 um, Philadelphia Festival, we were out there and I was printing my script at this place called um, Copycat. It's gone now. And when I was uh, making my prints, out came The Wolf of Wall Street by Terrence Winter. And, like, I looked at the guy, and I was like, look, is this is this really real? And he's like, yeah, man, you can take a copy. And I'm like, are you kidding me, dude? So I had a copy of the film probably full two years before it came out. And I read it that summer. And I remember just, like, seeing the film, like, unfold. And then when Scorsese came on board, like, he takes it, you know, through the roof. Um there's so many parts of the script that just happen like so fast and Scorsese he's on top of his game I mean he's what in the 70s and he's just crushing it so um yeah I think DiCaprio deserved the Oscar in that one he was just total slime ball you know what I mean like he just he got the role of Jordan perfectly you know Bob uh, I, I am not I, I really like DiCaprio I just never I, I never believed DiCaprio he's always still Leonardo DiCaprio to me um even in the really good um, Scorsese films, like a Shutter Island, uh, or even the Aviator, which, which, which came really close to, to me believing, um, I, I just never fully bought in until I saw The Wolf of Wall Street, and he just like he just transformed himself. He was just a different person, completely. Uh, which is what I've been I, I've just been waiting for DiCaprio to do that, and, and The Wolf of Wall Street is the first time that I thought he just was someone completely different. Um, and then, and you're talking about this director that has been making films for decades, and there's more energy and style and artistry in that film than, um, you know, anything from, from a younger director that I've seen this year. Um, it, it's just amazing that he's still coming out these movies that have that much vitality. Yeah, you know, I can't wait for the new one. I, I forget the name of it, but it's about, like, Jesuit priest or something like that in the 17th century. Starring uh, Adam Driver, I think's in it, but um, oh yeah, 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 you're right. Yep. And DiCaprio's got that film that's been you know going on for the better part of uh, maybe two years because they're filming with Natural Light, The Revenant. Uh, yep. And Tom Hardy, yeah, Tom Hardy. I saw a trailer for him playing Brothers the other day. I went to see uh, Black Mass, and it was just it's it's funny. He's doing so many different roles these days, but um, yeah. we'll see what ha- he hasn't like peaked either yet. I don't think. I mean, Mad Max is a great film, but I mean, Charlize is the star of that. So, um, we get down to the nitty gritty right here. The number one script of all time. Since you're my guest, I'll go first and leave the last discussion for you. Um, Seven by Andrew Kevin Walker. Um, The film with Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. The first time I saw it, I remember thinking to myself... How did someone come up with something so evil? Like, you know, the, the the plot device of having the seven deadly sins represent each part of the script. I, I just thought it was genius, you know? And, like, once I read it, you know, I think I read it in 2010, but when I saw the film, I knew it was special. But when I read the script, I was just like, this is, like, perfect structure. I wish I would have came up with something like this. Kevin Spacey being the villain for only, what, five, ten minutes in the script, you know? Like, uh, it, it just works. Yeah. You see him face-to-face. And not too many movies like come out now that are that real and that scary. It's also the work of David Fincher, who I just think, you know, that movie... I mean, some of you in the Bobcast world may know that the film at one point was going to end differently in some of the early scripts. Morgan Freeman actually uh, shoots John Doe. 
but uh, it's it's a good read, you know. Like you could just breeze right through that, and like you just feel like the momentum gaining through Act One, Act Two, and I think for screenplay writers, I think Act Two is like the hard part, getting through it to the finale. Like, what's your middle part of the story? Uh, would you agree yeah. with that? Well, it, it, it can be. Um, the, the cool thing about this script is, you know, they have the devil sins, which drag, it, it's like a built-in conveyor belt that drags you uh, willingly to, to keep watching because you, like, want to see every deadly sin kind of come up. Um, so it's just like a genius uh, gimmick for them to put in that script to, um, to just keep you going um, and, and two interesting things about that script. One... Is going back to screen, we really see more of this dark and short horror movie that, um, you know, kind of took us into the late 90s before all these crazy, um, movies. That's true. And then the second is, and then the second is, um, you know, look at the, look at the crew and cast that signed on to a horror film, which never happens. You have Brad Pitt, Gwyneth Paltrow, Kevin Spacey, and David Fincher directed. So, you're <clears throat> not going to get that unless you have one hell of a I just don't think that you see like you know quality movies like that anymore, especially in that vein of like supernatural like horror or like supernatural thrillers. Like they always go just a little bit too far. Like there's so many movies like the Sinister sequels. Like stop making sequels and start making new movies. You know what I mean? Like how do you feel about like sequels? What's your favorite sequel of all time? Let's go off on the tirade right here. Well, you know, it, it changed in the last few years. Sequels lately um, have been okay. I mean, um, going back to Scream, Scream 2 was really good. That was a really good movie. Um, I grew up with Terminator 2, which was better than Terminator. Uh, we already talked about The Dark Knight. Well, I, I'm actually a Batman Begins movie. Um, <clears throat> but uh, Spider-Man 2 was really, really good. I thought it was just, just beautifully done with the third first one. Um, so it can work. Uh, usually, you need a very strong director. Um, I think in all those cases I just mentioned, you have a returning director who had a little more authority to make the film you wanted to. Um, it doesn't always work out. I don't think Avengers Two um, was as good as Avengers One. Uh, I was so bored with Avengers 2. I, I think I did a podcast yeah. about it. I, 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 the whole time I was like, really? I've been waiting for this? Like, I was looking around the movie theater and everyone's just like spellbound it. And I was just like, really? They're at the farm and like Hawkeye's making soup for dinner? Like, come on. Like, ugh. I don't know what's going on. Like, some of the Marvel movies lately have just been, like, I enjoyed Ant-Man. I think there was, a, you know, like a part in the middle that was definitely forced by Marvel. There's no reason to go and break in for the Falcons, whatever that was in there that could help get to the you know the main plot, but um, you know like uh, I was so bored with Ultron and I didn't care about the robot. He had no motive. He he just was like, yeah, I, I want to kill you. Like it was just like, ugh. It could have been so much more because in the books, you know, Ant Man creates or Hank Pym, the original Ant Man creates uh, Ultron. And then, you know, they incorporated the vision. But it was just, like, it was too long, overbloated. And, like, I'll be honest, like, I wasn't... I still am not a fan of Josh Whedon's, like, movie work. His television work, I think, is good. But he's making two-hour TV shows for Marvel fans, you know? Like, they need to get dark and they need to get gritty again. Because people get tired of it, you know? I, I, I think, in this case, he was a victim of his own success. I think um, I think Avengers 1 was, was pretty darn good and pretty well-written. Um, but it was so huge and so big that, you know, it 
pretty much had to go up against everyone at, at, at any studio that had a piece of the movie in, in the um, and it's just impossible to get the vision on something like that. So, so I get it. When money gets that big, you know, there's there's, there's going to be some of those issues. Um, but you know, I, I was actually not a Firefly. Uh, we didn't ban until I saw Firefly. Yeah, I mean, um, I enjoy that medium. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I want more out of the Marvel films. Like, Ant Man was good. Captain America: The Winter Soldier was good. Those movies actually film. They feel like films. You know what I mean? Not just like serialized. You know, TV or I mean, like I'm not a fan of like the continuity thing because you have to like it, each movie should be like an annual in a comic book series. You know what I mean? You could do so much more like different things and explore different things but you have to like tie everything together so I think that they're limiting themselves they're not going to be able to continue that trend forever because people are going to get old you know like what do they do then well they're going to keep doing it until it bombs and then maybe one more bomb and then they'll recalibrate and start up a new universe just like the new Spider-Man you know you know this will be the third revamp in 15 years Recoup the cost, yeah. Um, before we get to your number one movie, I gotta tell you the worst sequel of all time for me is Jaws Two. Jaws is the best summer movie in the world, and Jaws Two is the worst, dude. It feels like the B movie role of the first one, with Brody running up and down the beach. It's just terrible. Like, <coughs> I don't think they should have made that film at all. Have you, uh, have, it's a steep decline because you're losing one of the uh, the best directors of all time. <laughs> Um, you're guaranteed for failure at that point, but yeah, of course. I mean, you know, that was bad. Jaws was the start of summer blockbusters, along with with Star Wars, <clears> and um, it was also the start of a horrible sequel. You know? mm-hmm. um, but you know, no one expected Jaws to go down as a, as a work of art and become, to be honest with you. No, no, not at all. Speaking about yeah, works of art, speaking Absolutely. of uh, works of art, your number one script of all time. Okay, so this is my number one, and then I'm going to throw in, just because I have to, um, like the one double A, which we'll have to talk about, okay? Um, so my, my regular number one is Up in the Air, um, based on a novel by Walter Kern, um, and uh, Jason Reitman, who directed it, um, also wrote it. Um, I, I, I don't know, man. I'm just trying to think of, like, my first time in the theater watching it, um, and just being blown away by by the atmosphere and the dialogue, like the voiceovers that George George Clooney narrates are just like so poetic and so beautiful. Um, and, you know, and nothing. He, he meets the girl. That's that's like the big turning point. Um, and then the twist at the end is so subtle and and so everyday and so unique. Um, but it, it turns out the convention on his head at the same time. Um, instead of him getting the girl, he's crushed. So we have this, this character that changes, right? And he's like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm ready to give up this life of, of, of travel. And I met someone who's worth it. And he finds out she, she, she's married and he's crushed as a human being and he'll forever be stuck in his knees. It's just like the most depressing, heartbreaking way to, to leave the theater. But, um, Man, you've never really seen anything like it at the same time. It's uh, got great atmosphere. Um, I, I agree. The, the beginning sequence with the voiceover work, explaining like how he gets around, what he does, like all, even yeah. the actors, you know, like that are being interviewed in the script, like uh, Zach yeah. Galifianakis in the beginning. Um, 
what's his name? It was in Whiplash. He has a great scene where he's like a French cook. Um, he just won an Oscar for Whiplash. Oh, oh, right. Um, yeah, with the bald head. I can't remember. He was also uh, Perry in Spider-Man. We're going to look back at this recording and be like, man, where was the brands? But yeah, I, you know, like all the supporting cast members in, um, you know, this film, like that contribute towards, you know, the main characters, you know, arc, I guess, of, you know, starting over, which is, you know, what you said. It, it's just great. Even, uh, you know, like his sister getting married and he's got to like take around the picture and stuff like that. That film's just great. I, I, I find that all the characters are completely relatable. I love the party sequence where they're uh, listening to, uh, I think it's Young MC, and then they wind up on the boat. There's like this really good yep. like transition where like uh, they get off the boat and run back on the beach. Yep, absolutely. Reitman knows absolutely. what he's doing with that film, though. And Clooney, you know what? He won me over with that film. Like, I didn't, I never, I mean, like, I watched all of his movies. I liked him in Three Kings, but I think Up in the Air was the film for me. I was like, oh, he's that kind of actor. Then he did The Descendants, and then, you know, I just... I'm 100% Clooney, you know what I mean? He's got it. When he's in the right script. Jason Reitman, just, uh, he, he, he's a very talented director, and he's super young, like, we're going to see a lot more from him. Um, you know, he, he, he directed Juno. He, he, he's a guy that knows how to put together talent. He's a guy that knows good writing. Um, he knows how to direct. He knows how to be subtle. Um, so, we may not have seen the best of him either, which is, which is exciting. Yeah, it's true. Do you know if he, what's his new movie coming out? Is there one coming? I'm sure there is. I'm not 100 percent sure what it is. I'm not 100 percent sure what it is. So yeah, up in the air. It's definitely got all the elements of it. Like, if, like, have you you read the PDF of it, right? Like, it is. It just flows. And I love stories that don't really have to like you know in screenplay writing you have to follow like these rules. You know what I mean? Act one, act two, act three, then yeah. setting incident, opening image. These types of scripts, you know, they're not necessarily format. So, like, for when you get, like, new students, like, what do you tell them? Like, you know, do you have to follow what's been done or try to create something new for yourself? I, I, think, I think it all starts with the structure because if you don't get your script made, um, it, you're only doing half the job. A, a movie script is made to be made into a movie, right? It's not a novel, um, it's not a play, it's a movie script. Um, and if you do want to get picked up, if you want a story that's satisfying, um, you do have to follow the three-act structure. You have to have something happening to the protagonist that makes this a unique, interesting story. Um, you have to have a resolution at the end. Um, the protagonist has to actively do something. It can't just all happen to him. Um, the Coen Brothers with the Google Basket is different. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I mean that that is the that, that is like the bones of everything. And if you can get that, then you can be as creative as you want, and you can be as crazy as you want, and you can write whatever dialogue you want. It, I mean, it, it's all fair game at that point. But um, if you read a script that doesn't follow the structure, you're going to be confused. Because you're a film guy, you're going to be like, I don't know what's happening here. Like, what's going on? Um, you know, it's been around for thousands of years. There's a reason for it. Um, I'm all about, you know, alternative filmmaking. I'm all about guerrilla filmmaking. But, um, you know, it's just kind of the most basic tenant of filmmaking. You have to sort of have a little structure um, that we all share as an audience um, and we're all expecting. 
Um, it's just like, kind of a part of our humanity at this point. So um, if you can get that down, that is my biggest piece of advice. That's excellent. Listen, I appreciate you coming on the show, giving the Bombcast listeners, you know, an idea of your favorite scripts, some advice, you know, and I wish you the best doing all these different teaching gigs, helping, you know, new students discover new mediums of entertainment, if you will. Yanni, thanks very much for being on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. All right, we'll talk soon. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of Bombcast. Bombcast.